Things uh, I'd like to take us to this morning's scripture that comes to us from Philippians, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with you, with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have had you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is this morning's good news. You know, each year when we go to pray, each Sunday when we go to pray, it's important for us to to put ourselves in a physical place so that we can be still and, and listen to God. And also to remind ourselves of something very true. I, I grew up in congregations, and I, and, and I believe this to be true, where we often, at the end of a prayer response, a pastor would say something, and we would say, Lord, hear our prayers. I, I believe that you'll hear from Pastor Keith, and I know that I've been teaching it for years and years, that that phrase, while true and it is a great plea, can also be modified very simply, and that's what I want to do with us on Camp Sunday, is modify that phrase to simply this, Lord, I know you hear my prayer. Would you repeat that with me? Lord, I know you hear my prayer. See, we needn't hope that God hear our prayers. We don't need to wonder if God hear our prayer, hears our prayers. If we're in Christ, we know that God hears our prayers. So I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to stimulate that particular response a couple of times uh, during our prayers. So I'm going to ask you to say it with me again. Lord, I know you hear my prayers, and we'll go right into prayer. So let's say that together as we go to prayer. Lord, I know you hear my prayers. Almighty God, in our prayers today, we lift up in joy and thanksgiving the mighty work of your gospel. With grateful hearts, we share the good news that we have come to know you through our relationship with you. And we praise you, Lord, for so many stories of boys and girls, men and women who have come to know you through the years. We are thankful, Lord, that our relationship gives, with you gives us the opportunity to share it with others. And we pray, Lord, that you shall give us the strength and the confidence uh, that we might be able to carry out the work that you have planned for us and that we might grow deep roots and become the fruit of your righteousness here in the world. Lord, I know you hear my prayers. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are, Lord. Whether we have complete freedom to speak or talk or act or if we're tied up in some way that restricts our actions, when we have you in our hearts, you grant us the ability and the opportunity to share your gospel wherever we are. Our life is a living testimony to the love that we have for you and it speaks of how important your love and grace are to us. Lord, we pray for boldness of heart. We pray that we will not shrink from moments and opportunities 
that you give us to share the importance of your presence and how much your love has changed our lives. Lord, I know you hear my prayers. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we come to know you more completely and love you more fully, that we will not be able to contain the joy that fills our hearts. Let us hear those words of the Apostle Paul that tells us to rejoice in you again and again and again. For it's that very joy that will compel us to seek out those who don't know you, those who are lost and alone, adrift in this world, those who are seeking your truth and cannot seem to find it. Help us to be their guides. Help us to share that love in every circumstance that we get and be filled with your righteousness. Lord, I know you hear our prayers. Lord God, I know that Pastor Keith woke up this morning with a fire in his belly and he is prepared to preach. He is prepared to speak on your behalf. He is prepared to speak the words that have come to him through prayer and preparation, through the reading of the scripture, of the discerning and the saturating his spirit of it. He is ready to preach, Lord. And the question is, are we prepared to hear? Prepare us today, Lord. Prepare our hearts. Make them a fertile ground for the words that Keith is going to say that come not from him, but come from you. I know when we look forward like that, Lord, you make it true. Lord, I know you hear my prayers. We give you these prayers, Lord. We offer them as a sacrifice of love and devotion. We also give you the unspoken prayers of our hearts, all of which we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Welcome, Pastor Keith. Good morning. Well, if you've been paying attention around here, you'll go, we already talked about Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Well, we're going to do it again because we've, we are really heavy into this process called the Healthy Church Initiative, and, and we're also heavy into this study in Philippians. And I think the two things weave themselves together very well, and, and we've determined that as we look at the descriptions that Paul has for this church at Philippi, that there's much we can learn from as well. And, and one of the ways that we're going to think about this this morning is to ask ourselves a very important question. It's a question that I've talked about before. It's, it's important for us as we consider uh, where we as a church are headed and what we're doing with everything. And it's question number zero is what I call it. What are we trying to accomplish? What is the end result of all of this? I actually had somebody come up to me after uh, the 8.30 service last week with the prescriptions that were handed to us. And he looks at me and he goes, what's this for? And I thought, that is a wonderful question. The what it's for, that's what we're after today. What are we trying to do? What's this all about? What is the end result of this entire process that we're in with this study in Philippians, with our church, and with our faith? What's the end result? Well, in order to, to dig into that a little bit, I found when I was reading the text this week as I was studying for this, it worked best for me if I read it backwards. Because then I was able to, to, to really understand a few things about it that I, that I sort of was unclear about before. So I just want to take like the last three verses of Philippians chapter 1 
and read them backwards. Can we do that together? And then through that, maybe we'll be able to answer the question, what are we trying to accomplish? What's all this for? What's the end result? So let's start. Verse 11. The glory and praise of God, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, so that you may be able to discern what is best in knowledge and depth of insight. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Now, do you see how that's working? The, the very first thing that we read, I think, answers the question, what is this all about? And, and the answer is this, the glory and praise of God. That is the answer for why we do what we do. If you want to know what the church is for, if you want to know what Christianity is all about, if you want to know what everything that we do is all about, that's the answer right there, that God would be glorified. Not a church, not an individual, not, not some idea or some cause, but that God would be glorified. That is why we do what we do. That is the end result, hopefully. And because we've been given these prescriptions and descriptions by our consultants, and, and as we look to the ones that were given to the church in Philippi, I think we can maybe come up with some ideas, but more than that, understand what it's all about. You see, sometimes I look at things like that and I go, okay, this is a formula here. If we just do this, then this, then that, then we'll get what we want, right? That's a pretty practical way to look at things, right? So we could look at, at this formula that we were given, because we were given some descriptions last week, weren't we? And descriptions are the things that we were told about us, right? Our strengths and, and our weaknesses as a church. Those are the descriptive things. But then we were also given some prescriptions, right? And do we know the difference between the two? You see, the descriptions are, where are we right now? The prescriptions are, how do we get to where we want to go? It's very important for us as a church and as individuals that we know the difference between the two. Because if we're, if we're not careful, we'll get the things mixed up. And we'll start to think that the, the, the descriptions become the prescriptions. And we'll start doing things just for the sake of doing them so that we can get what we want. But if we do that, we miss the point entirely altogether. Are you confused yet? good. You're supposed to be right now. You won't be unconfused until I get to my third page. All right? So just hang in there. You see, if you want to understand more and more about this, we want to tackle these issues. We read backwards here. We recognize that the fruit of all the righteousness that's required to bring God this great glory comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ. We remember, as, as we heard earlier, that the work is done by God. He's the one who began the work, and he's the one who will be faithful to complete it. But if we misunderstand this process, we could think that all this work is about us and what we must do. And we could do that. And we could be declared by our community and by our denominational leaders and by our colleagues, wow, what a great church. We could have everybody saying, what an awesome church First United Methodist and Marian is. And, and we could completely miss our entire goal. Because our goal is not for us to be a great church. Our goal is for God to be glorified. Now you may say, isn't the same? Well, it just depends, doesn't it? It depends on this. Where does our righteousness come from and what's it all about? See, as we continue to look backwards, we see that this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. But let's talk about the difference for a moment, as Chris pointed out to us in a staff meeting the other day, between the fruit and the root. All right? If you wanted to... to 
replicate an apple tree and you had yourself an apple and the seed within the apple and you wanted another apple, when you plant your, your seed in the ground, is the first thing that appears an apple? No. This is when you can participate. No. The first thing that appears is, is actually it doesn't even appear to, to your eye. It's under the ground. It's a root system that's being established. And then from that root comes a, 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 a trunk of a tree. And then from that trunk of a tree come branches. And from branches come leaves. And then finally at the very end of the entire process comes the fruit. Now you can't start with the fruit. The fruit is the result of what's already happening. And I think that this is what's so misunderstood by Christians because we don't understand the difference between the fruit and the root. You see, Paul, he, he lays out some, some descriptions of the fruit. In, in Galatians chapter, chapter 5, he, he gives us a, a great example. This is a familiar text of what some of the fruit of being a Christian is. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control right? We, we, we see all these things and, and we go, that's awesome. But here's where we get messed up with it, okay? We see those things on that list and we go, hey, I want to be an awesome Christian. I better start doing those things, right? I better start doing those things so that I can become an awesome Christian. And, 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 and that leads us into all sorts of problems because here's the deal about this fruit. It is not a prescription. It is a description. Very important that you understand the difference. This is not how you get to Jesus. This is what happens when you've already arrived. See, I can always tell when, in conversations with people when, when they haven't understood the gospel. Because I'll ask somebody a question like, well, are you, are you a Christian? Do you, are, are, are you a follower of Christ? Are you a child of God? If they answer the question by saying, well, pastor, I'm trying. I know clearly this person has not understood the gospel. You don't try to be a Christian. Did you know that? Just like, I don't try to be married. I don't try to be a father. I don't try to be a son. Those are descriptions of who I am. Those are who I am. Now, I may try to be a better husband. I may try to be a better father. I may try to be a better son. And I may try to be a better Christian. But my trying was not made me a Christian in the first place. But too much of the time, we believe this, this misinformation that tells us that we become a Christian because we do all these great things. And if we do just enough of these great things, then one day Jesus will give us the gold star and say, congratulations, you've made it. You are now a Christian. Good job. Way to go. But we know that doesn't work that way for a lot of us, does it? Because we, we seem to have this disconnect because the Bible tells us ultimately our righteousness does not come from our trying. Our righteousness comes from something else. Something else. Entirely. Fast forward in the book of Philippians chapter 3, and you'll see what Paul says your righteousness comes from. He says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, our righteousness comes not from our ability to do good things or not do bad things. Our righteousness comes from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and from our faith in Him. Now this process by which we become more holy and blameless, like in our verses that we read back, backwards, that's the process, as good Methodists could tell you, which is called sanctification. That's the, the work of the Holy Spirit in us that is convicting us and making us more like God. 
true. As Christians, we, we begin this journey with God because of the faith that we put in Jesus. And, and it's done. But yet, now we begin the work of sanctification. We begin to grow into that identity. We begin to grow into a life that looks more and more like Christ. That actually is supposed to happen for us. Just like as a church, we grow more and more into a church that looks more and more like the one Jesus would have it look like. See, our efforts aren't what gets it done for our own personal faith and ultimately for the faith of this church. That's not where our answer lies. Because if we look deep inside us, we'll realize that maybe we're not so righteous after all if we just look at our own selves. I mean, Paul said in Romans 3, verse 10, and all of that, that there is none righteous, not one. There's not really one of us who can stand up and say, hey, you know what? I got this. This whole Jesus, righteous, law-obeying, praising thing, give it to me, I'll, I'll lead the way. I got it nailed down. Matter of fact, all of our righteousness, according to Isaiah, is filthy rags before the Lord. Something that we really, really, really need to understand here. You don't get Jesus by being righteous. You get righteous by getting Jesus. See, this is true for people. And it's also true for churches. And if we want to address those issues that we need to address, you know, maybe we need to communicate better or have a clearer vision or whatever it might be, all of those things, we can do all of that. But our chief concern is not our methodology behind our strategy and our programs and all that stuff, which is a temptation for us because that's stuff we can control. Our, our chief concern needs to be our proximity to Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him, and our, our growing closer with Him. That's our chief concern. So how do we move forward? Into Jesus? Well, according to Philippians, as we've worked backwards here, through loving discernment of who God is, and what God would have us do, and more importantly, whom God has made us to be. Now notice the word that Paul uses is the word discern, not the word decide. We're never called to decide what our purpose is. We're called to discern it. Big difference. You see, we can make all kinds of decisions, can't we? Right? I mean, I can decide lots of things. I can decide that an all Taco Bell diet would be nutritious and good. I can decide that. Or I can, you know, read the scientists and the nutrition experts that would, and, and I could discern that I'm supposed to eat vegetables if I want to be healthy. Right? See, decide is about preference. Decide is about what mood I'm in. Decide is about how I feel about something or what I think about it, what I prefer. Let me tell you something. There is nowhere in the Bible where God ever cares what you or I prefer. There is nowhere where God says, well, hmm, let me figure out what, what, what human beings decide they want to do or prefer, and then I'll readjust my whole plan for that. We're never called to decide. We're called to discern. So how do we do that? How do we discern? See, discern is about truth. So if we want to know what the truth is, according to reading Philippians 1 backwards, we have to be pure and blameless because of the righteousness of Christ. And then we have to have knowledge and depth of insight 
Where do you get that? You get it through revelation. You get it through opening the scriptures and seeing what God has, de- has declared. You get it through, through falling on your face before the Lord and saying, God, we want to know what your word is. We want to know what you would say to us. We're not here to tell you our plans. We're here to find out what your plans are. That, that's why I'm so encouraged by the fact that one of our first prescriptions is a day of prayer where we're called to come together and, and seek God and say, Lord, what do you have for us? What is your will here? We're not called to create that. We're called to ask for it. That's what our our town hall meetings ultimately need to be. They're not going to be brainstorming sessions where we say, okay, get all the smart people together in a room and say, well, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? That's not what we're called to do. Now, sure, methodologies and all that stuff will come into play, but we can never think this is about our ability to figure it out. God, help us if it becomes that. Paul never called the church in Philippi to discern for themselves anything like that. He told them to discern. But, as anybody who's gone through a process of discernment will tell you, one of the most important things about this whole process is that it's wrapped in what we see in verse 9. Love. It's all got to be wrapped in love. Matter of fact, Paul says, my prayer for you is that you abound more and more in love as you seek to discover the knowledge and insight so that you become pure and blameless, able to discern the will of God and and bring God glory with the righteousness that comes through Christ. You've got to start with love because we've all been around too many people who've leaned solely on discernment and have no love. What do you call those people? Don't name names for crying out loud. Gee, I can get ugly. You see, if we just lean on the whole discernment side but have no love, then we're just basically, you know, self-righteous know-it-alls that just tell everybody what we think they should do, right? That, that's not going to get us anywhere. But, but on the same, the same issue, if, if we just want to lean wholly on love and have no depth of insight, then where does that get us? Well, it doesn't really matter what, you know... What anybody think? Just love everybody the same, and, and, and whatever, whatever's right to you is right, is okay here. And, 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 you know, whatever, you just get to pick whatever you want to do, and we'll have 37 more services so that everybody can have their own little thing, and we'll do a program for you, and this for you, and this for you, and all. And whatever you prefer is what we're going to do for you. You know, that's insanity. See, Paul told the church in Philippi that you need to become one in mind. They need to become like-minded. And you know how difficult that process is when you get a group of people together to, to agree on anything. But yet we're called to do that. We're called to love one another, even though we will disagree. Even though there will be times when we say, I don't know what to do. When we're not sure where that discernment leaves, leads us. Love must be our defining characteristic. And we're going to need it. See, it's easy to love those people who agree with you, Right? But it's also the call of Christ to love those with whom we disagree. And we must remember that so that we can become a church that's pure and blameless. We can become a church with the fruit of righteousness that comes not because people are talented or hard workers, but because they're connected to Christ so that God may be glorified. And that's the point. 
And in some ways, even that makes more sense when you look at it backwards too, doesn't it? See, we say all the time, you know, our church has a mission from God, right? But maybe we should flip that around and instead of asking the question, does the church have God's mission? Maybe we should instead flip that around and ask the question, does God's mission have a church? See, I I think about the the consultation meetings and all the the brainstorming sessions we have, and then I try to think about, you know, us down here making our plans and everything. And then I think about what it must be like in heaven. You know, the whiteboard meetings that they have up there with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father and and all the angels and saints, and they're they're gathered in a room together, and they're getting ready to figure out what they're going to do, and they've got the mission, and and, and they they have it, and they're writing things on the board, and and when it comes to to what are we going to do in in Lynn County, Iowa, and beyond, what are we going to do? We've got this great mission. I can just imagine, I don't know who it is up there, piping up and saying, I got it, First United Methodist Church in Marion. They can do it. Isn't that awesome? To think that, that, that God's mission has us? Because that's what it's about. We belong to it. It doesn't belong to us. So may you, in the same way, belong to it personally. Because I'm telling you what right now, you can't just skate by on this without that personal relationship with Jesus. You can't just get near people who've got Jesus and expect it to rub off on you. You can't be just part of a church that, that has Jesus as its root and fruit and expect some of it to just kind of, you know, get on, on you and you can blend into it. You've got to have it for yourself. You've got to have Christ as your root. Do you? I pray that you do. If you don't, you can You can say yes to Jesus right now. You can turn your heart over to the Lord. You can turn from your sin and trust in Christ and allow God to begin that work of sanctification in you, that work of fruit inspecting and fruit pruning and bearing of awesome fruit and and lend your voice to our town hall meetings, our day of prayer, and everything else that happens around here because we want to succeed in being part of God's mission. Because of his awesome glory. That's the point. And I'm reminded of his, his words through Paul that he who began this great work will be faithful to complete it. I believe that with all my heart. May it be so for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you have a, a tremendous mission and a tremendous vision. Lord, may we discern what that is. And may everything that we do, Lord, bring us closer to that as we seek to give you glory, not ourselves, not a denomination, not a system or a method, Lord God, not an individual or a team, Lord, but you, Jesus. This is for you. We seek to be open to everything that your spirit would call us to do and become. Lord, help us to do so with love, with depth of insight, with knowledge, Lord, help the fruit of our faith in you to be so evident in this world that you receive all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Marissa McVeigh, and I am a member here at First United Methodist Church in Marion. I'm really excited about all of the wonderful ministries that this church has to offer. 
One particular ministry I'm super excited about is the kids' ministry. I love working with youth, and I love to see them get involved with different crafts and different activities that they love to do, and at the same time they learn about God. I just think it's wonderful. This church has many wonderful ministries, just like the children's ministries, and you can give of your time and of your money to all of these wonderful ministries. So I'll ask you right now, will the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 